If you guys weren't here on Friday, you guys missed a true blessing. Um, Friday night, we had the pray over the school. It was a fantastic time. Me and Jerry were trying to gauge how many people we thought were here. Uh, probably around 100 people at best guesstimate. 100, 120, maybe 80, I don't know. We have to take off our shoes to count that high. Um, but it was a great, great time. God's Spirit was here and it was alive. Anytime you get people that are going to gather together in the name of God, you need to find where they're gathering and you need to go to them because you will receive a blessing. And it was just an amazing, amazing time here. The altars were full by the end of the night and they were covered in tears. I have no doubts that there were lives changed on Friday night and what a great support for our students as we let them know that we are here as a, a body of Christ to support them and that they know that they've got teachers in the school to go to, that they've got nurses, that they've got board members, that they've got people around the districts that they can go to for godly advice. What a support system that is. And, and realizing that they've got so many friends in the school system as well that they can seek out. Guys, it's hugely important, not just for students, but for us as well to know where our godly friends are and to know where our elders are and the people of the church that we can call upon when we've got hard times or when we need prayer because we can't do this life alone. And a lot of times we need somebody to pray for us because we're just exhausted from fighting our own battles. So it's important to know who you can pick up the phone and dial at any time of the day and say, Brother, sister, I need prayers right now. I'm going through a battle and I need you to pray for me because I'm too weak to pray for myself. And so it's, it's vital in your walk to know where those people are on your life and to know where you can go. Because life gets crazy, and that's what I tried to tell the teens, that, that life just gets crazy, and we get overwhelmed at times, and we, we experience anxieties, and we, we worry about a lot of stuff. Um, I'm going to start out in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm just going to be there for a second. I'm mainly going to be out of Luke this morning. Um, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's been heavy on my mind and my heart this week how we get wrapped up in the worries of things that might come about. Anybody ever worry about something so hard that it consumed your whole mind and then it never even happened? Right? I'll, I'll give you a little, a little taste. Tate, he had to go get his shots before he started kindergarten this year. And we were deciding on whether to tell him or not that morning that that's where we were headed. Oh, well, Misty was headed with him. And Misty was asking me what I thought because we don't want to mislead our kids about what's going to happen that day. And I thought, you know, there's no need to ruin his whole morning. 
Because I think it was, I don't know, the appointment was at like 9.30 or 10. And I knew if we told him that he was going to get shots from the time he woke up till we got to the shots, that would have ruined his whole morning. He, that would have been all he would have thought about is, is how bad it's going to be. And, and by the time he got to the situation, he would have it so hugely built up in his head that it would be way worse than what it actually was. Um, I see it a lot. As I look around how, you know, you take a text and you add your own voice to it. That's why I hate text messaging, especially if it's something important, because you read it in whatever voice you think they're saying it. You know, take a simple text message. I noticed you haven't been to the store. What do you need while I'm there? Okay, simply trying to help and you read it as I see that you've been lazy and you haven't done the things that I've asked you to do so now I'm doing your work for you what do you want right who hasn't done that everybody's done it right so we have to be careful about these things to not build up anxiety and animosity and and a lot of times we even build anger and we build drudgery and we worry about things before they even come to fruition and we waste a lot of time stewing about stuff that may never even happen so I wanted to talk about warfare this morning and it's so funny because Sunday school you know trying to be involved with the Sunday school class and the discussion when the topic is identical to what you're fixing to preach on and not give your whole sermon away is hard because God lines things up in such a way that I'm sitting there like oh I've got a lot to say I've got a lot to say but if my Sunday school they'll just check out Uh, the Sunday school class won't even be here if I'm like give my whole spiel and I get out my notebook and I go over these points they're gonna be like all right we already got it we're gonna beat everybody to the buffet we've already got it we're gone But we talked about staying focused on God. Because believe it or not, your mind is a battleground. It's a battlefield. And that last verse or segment of a verse there in 2 Corinthians says, Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now that's something that I'm not great at. It's something that I'm working towards, but it's a goal that I have. Because life gets in the way, and you think about the person that was mean to you, or, or you've got a meeting with your boss, and you made a mistake, and you're dreading that meeting, and you're worried about it. So nothing else can take place in your mind when you build these things up. You can't think about the people you're seeing in the right now. You can only see the things that might happen in the future that's not even here yet you know it's kind of like you're putting your focus on the destination without realizing what you have in the present you know hey I'm going to church I'm running late got to get to church pass by somebody that needs help on the way there you're kind of defeating the purpose of what's happening you know we should help the people along the way and if you're so focused on your plan or your goal of getting to where you're going or the meeting or the bad things that are happening in your life the devil is taking control of the playground in your imagination 
I know oftentimes if I sit idle for too long, my mind drifts to places that it shouldn't necessarily go. So we have to take thoughts and we have to make them captive and obey Christ. Um, Matthew Henry said, If we value the beauty of God's holiness, we shall not crave the luxuries of life. And what he's trying to say, or what it meant to me, was that if we realize all the things that God is, we will not focus on all the things that we aren't. Or the things we don't have control over. You know, I've, I've told it time and time again, you guys are probably getting tired of hearing it, but that night that God spoke to me, and I realized that I was not a strong enough or big enough man to raise my kids without his help was a very humbling night for me. And I broke down, and I got on my knees, and I cried in the middle of our living room, and then I went to the basement where my kids were sleeping, and I cried over them, realizing that I'm not strong enough, that I'm not big enough, that I'm not smart enough. But luckily for me, I had somebody in my corner who is telling me these things. He's like, listen, I know what your mind thinks. I know what your mind is telling you, but I'm here to tell you something different. You must relinquish your kids and allow me to help you. And that night was one of the most humbling nights of my life where I allowed God to take up more space in my real estate. Because when you think about it, Satan wants to take up more real estate. He is a deceiver to obtain more real estate. He wants to take up more space. He wants to take up more time. And these things, especially time, you cannot get back. I told Grace and Blackburn on Friday night, you know, a lot of these kids in here that have started living their life for Christ in high school, I admire them because I wasted a lot of my time not making great decisions and chasing after other things beside God. And I really admire the kids that are in here. If you'll hold steady and true to it, you can help a lot of people along the way. And you can help us old farts along the way by staying dedicated. Because if you're doing it, then it gives us hope that we can do it too. And I'm not just talking to the young kids, but everybody in here. When I talk about having an accountability partner and somebody that you can call, we all have to walk accordingly so that we can be that help in a time of need. That somebody is worrying about a situation that hasn't come to be yet, you can step in and say, Man, have you prayed lately? Have you read your Bible today? Have you thought about God at all? You know, have you prayed for Him to be in this situation? Or maybe they can just put a different spin on it to help you realize that what you're worrying about isn't really a worry at all. And the things that we worry about a lot of times, I'm going to say at least 60, 70% of the time, the things we worry about never even come to be. 
So when I start, I'm going to start in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22, it says, And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. Verse 23, the life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. He's saying a couple things here that are in the obvious. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. He said there's much more to you than what you put in your body for food or the clothes that you put on the outside. The thing that stuck out to me that God showed me when I was reading through this, he said, the life. Why does that stick out to you? I'm glad you asked. Because he gave you life. We are borrowing God's given time to us. So once we change our perspective of whose life it actually is, you can gain a little wisdom in the fact that this is not your life. God has granted you a piece of his life. Because God is life. And he said, I breathe the breath of life into his nostrils and it came alive. So we have to realize whose life it is to start with. And when you realize that this isn't your life, that you're living part of what God has granted you to have, we can change perspective a little bit. Because everything that you've got is borrowed time. Now we're on God's time. We've changed our timeline. Now that we're there, we can move on. It says, verse 24, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them, how much more are ye better than the fowls? I talked a lot from Galatians Friday night, and we talked about what you will reap, you will also sow. Or what you, sorry, what you, show, what you sow, you will also reap in due season. So if you spend all of your time doing bad things, know that for a season you're going to reap of those bad things. And also, if you sow good things, also know that you're going to reap good things. But in that, he's saying that this bird doesn't do anything. It just flies around, and look how I take care of him. He doesn't worry that the barn is empty because he doesn't even have a barn. He doesn't know anything else than the reliance on God that created him. Now, we as a society teach our kids that you have to go out and fight for what is yours. And I'm not saying that that is a totally bad thing, but I'm saying if we had a little more reliance on God and a little less reliance on ourselves, this world would be a much better place to live in. I had a conversation at one juncture with a man, and he said, you know, miracles are just hard to believe. And I said, what makes you say that? And he's like, well, you still, you know, you read about stuff in the Old Testament and and all the miracles and the things that were done. And, and then you get to Jesus and all the things that he did. But, you know, you just don't see a whole lot of that anymore. 
I beg to differ. I think there's miracles that happen around us every day. But I believe that if you go to some of these third world countries where they have nothing and their life depends on their faith in God, you see dramatic miracles happening. You see people being instantly cured of blindness and sickness. And you see people being raised from the dead because their faith is all that they have. They have nothing else. They don't have a home to go home to. They don't have clean water that is guaranteed for them to drink. They're not guaranteed that they will have food in the next week. But they get down on their knees and they spend all their time praying to God. And God delivers them. Because they're not reliant on their self. Because they have nothing I feel very fortunate to live in the country that I do, that I can have an abundant supply of food, and I do have a place to live, and I have a church to be with fellow members. But I think it skews our view of things and the reality of what things are. Because how many people will show up at my mom and dad's basement, and I use the, I don't have a basement. Anybody that has a basement. How many people, though, will still show up to worship God when we can no longer do it freely? When the chances of you being shot at the spot for believing in God, how many people from this crowd are going to continue to be there? Something to think about. We've got it pretty easy. You know, our faith goes as far as we can see it sometimes. And when we do that, we allow Satan into our minds and allow him to take up territories because we see our faith out and Satan goes just beyond that and waits for you to get to him in your mind. So when we have problems and things that we're dreading or we worry about our next paycheck or what job we're coming up to or how we're going to pay the bills, these things we have to remember are all worldly things so when we totally give it up to God and God says everything about wholeheartedness I've not read where it says half hearted anywhere in there I may be wrong but I've always read wholeheartedly seek me you will find me not half of me but all of me So when we put away these worldly things and we allow God to control our minds and to control our thoughts and to control our actions, we've got nothing to worry about. We're free, right? He says it. Um, One of my sticky notes here. In John 8, 31... Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When you know God's true love for you, and how he wants to take care of you, and how he wants to provide for you, and how he wants to love you, nothing else will matter. 
Because you know his true love, and his true love is anything, Jim, better than we could ever give our kids. God's true love is divine. It's never-ending. When we accept who God is and the fact that our life is not our own, things get a lot easier. Because now we're just living for the person who created us. Verse 36, if you then not able to do that thing which is least, oops, sorry, back up, I missed one. Verse 25, I'm back in Luke. And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? We'd done a study or a Sunday school lesson on this when me and Misty were teaching the little kids at Pontiac. And you know, anybody ever played that pie-in-the-face game where you crank the dial and it smacks you with Cool Whip or whatever you put on it? Some of you guys, you'll have to explain it to your parents or grandparents what's going on. Anyway, you roll this dice or spin the wheel, I don't really remember, and you put whipped cream on a hand and you stick your face in this little circle deal. And it clicks. And sometimes your click makes it smack you in the face and sometimes it don't. And our whole object with this game was is when you stick your face in that circle and you start clicking it does not matter how much you worry about getting it in the face it ain't going to stop it it doesn't matter no no please not me please not me smack it doesn't matter how much you worry about it it doesn't matter how much you tell it not to This thing is coming. And that's where our trust in God to know, even if that thing comes, that he's going to take care of you. He's with you. He's going to walk through the fire with you, and you're going to come out on the other side not even smelling like smoke because that's what our God is, and that's what our God does. He is the great I am. He is the Alpha and the Omega, and you lay in between that with the life in which He has given you. Amen? It's not us. It's Him. But once we get our life shifted to not us, but Him, we can truly start seeing Him for who He is. And that's the problem I feel like we have, that we don't see him for who he is. We want to see him for who we think he is, or how we can fit him in our mind. And what I'm here to tell you is you cannot fit God in your mind. If you're trying to wrap your mind around his endless love, you can't. Because it's endless. And infinity doesn't register us. Everything we know has an end. But our God is endless. His love is endless. His want for our success is endless. But we must realize who God is and who we are not. In verse 27, sorry I skipped it again. Verse 26, if you then not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like a one of these. If then God 
So clothe the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast in the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? We have to remember that Jesus is speaking these words. This is not Paul talking. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's telling them, you guys are worried about things that you shouldn't be worrying about. You are allowing Satan to have territory in your mind when I tell you to take every thought captive and obey me. You wonder why you can't cast out demons and heal people? Because you're not recognizing who I am. You're not putting faith in me. You're trying to do it with the power of yourself. And you can't do it. If you want to overcome battles and trials and tribulations, and if you want to be a victor, then you have to realize who he is and what his power is and realize that you can't do it on your own. He's not saying that you're not going to go through it because you're going to go through it. He's saying that I'll be there with you, and on the other side, you will stand victorious because of me. And so when we realize who God is, we realize who we are not. And the fact that we have so little control that we shouldn't worry about anything. He says that if you can't change the least of these, why worry about the great things? If you can't change a fragment, why would you worry about the big things? Allow me to step in. We talked about healing and stuff this morning and putting it in physicians' hands and not asking God. Yeah, they're doctors, but they're not God. We have to realize who God is, and I'm not saying not go to the doctor, but I'm saying you better pray about it if you want healing because God is in control. And we have to stop giving real estate to Satan and stuff that he doesn't deserve. In verse 29, And seek not ye what ye shall eat, for what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have, and give alms. Provide yourself bags which wax not old, and treasures of heaven that faileth not. Where no thief approacheth, neither moth corruptive, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Guys, I don't know why this was on my heart so much this week. And I'm not going to tell you that I don't worry about things because I do just like you guys do. But I'm going to get real with you for a second. Sometimes we reach a point in our lives where we can fully give it to God. We do. And then it's usually very short-lived, or it has been in my experience. There was one night I had just come back from a men's conference, and this pastor was telling me about the posture of possibilities. And he was telling me that he believed and was a firm believer that more things happen when you get to a point when you're spread out on the floor, face down, crying out to God than any other posture that there could ever be. 
He said, because you are totally broken, you are totally useful. Well, I was studying my Bible one night at the kitchen table in our rent house before our house was built. And I was thinking about that, what this pastor had said, and how it was the posture of possibilities. And I was reading in my Bible, and God overtook me, and he said, you need to be broken. You need to get down, and you need to cry on your face to me. I thought, right here, right now. Wife and kids were in bed. So at 10 to 10.15 at night, I find myself sprawled out in our kitchen floor seeking God's face. And I'm bawling, and I can't tell you why. I have no clue why. It seems like every time God's involved, you start crying. It's overwhelming when you are in his presence. And I'm totally to a point at that moment in my life where I said, God, use me. It doesn't matter when. It doesn't matter how. I want you to use me in whatever capacity that you see fit for me to be used. And for the first time in my life, I felt like he received it and that he heard me. Because I've prayed that prayer more than once. I have prayed that prayer several times before that juncture in my life of God I want to be used but we all know what hollow prayers are like God knows our hearts thankfully and sometimes our words fall short of where our heart is and I realized in that moment that that was the first time that I had ever prayed that prayer with my heart and that I meant it now I had said it a lot and I fully believed it but my heart wasn't with my mind yet it wasn't all together yet. I wanted to be used, not for his sake, but my own, because that's where I thought I needed to be all the times before that. But in that moment, that night, at 10.15, sprawled out on my kitchen floor, crying out to God for him to use me, he heard me that night, and we had a moment together. I gathered myself up off the floor, and I closed my Bible, and I laid down in bed, and the time span wasn't 10 minutes, I got a phone call, about 10.30 at night, and it was a missionary, and this missionary said, I'm sorry it's so late, but God put it on my heart that I needed to call you. He said, I want you to go with me. He said, I'm assembling a young team, and we're going to call it Timothy's Mission, and we're going to go door to door, and I'm going to train you on how to win souls for Christ. I said, that sounds great. Where are we going? He's like, Nicaragua. And I'm like, woo! Okay, I'm in. Hung up the phone. Misty was laying there half groggy-eyed. I said, I just got called to go on a missionary trip to Nicaragua. I was like, how crazy is that? And she just kind of rolls over and she's like, nothing really surprises me anymore. But when you start having a yes for God, when your heart changes in that moment to a yes for God and what he would have for you, Misty was saying not that she wasn't excited, 
but she also knew in her heart that God can take you anywhere. He could take you as high as you're willing to take you. Because we can't lift ourselves up nearly as high as what God can lift us up to. And whenever we start saying yes to the things that he would have for us, he can take you anywhere. He can take you praying in the backstock room at a Walmart in Mountain Home. He can take you praying over a shopper that you never even knew because you and a brother in Christ was standing beside you, felt like this lady that was shopping needed you to pray over her. These are situations where you find yourself. I heard a pastor say one time that if a pastor is truly doing what he is doing, then he will have testimony all the time because you're always doing work for the Lord and therefore you're going to have new stories. You're going to have new testimony. If we're doing as the child or children of the God, of the King, if we're doing His work, then we should always have new testimony. Now, it can be testimony like, man, this guy laughed me out of his store, or this guy kicked me out of his car, and I had to walk the next two miles because he didn't like what I was saying. But it's testimony, nonetheless, to build the broken. God gives you testimony to help other people. But when you spend your time worrying about that next meeting or worrying about that next job, you can't see the people that need your help. Or you can't see what God would have for you. And you may miss it. Now, I have also missed out on several things. But I just want you guys to know that Jesus is telling his disciples, you cannot add one cubit to your stature by worrying about it. It does nothing. It's not beneficial. It doesn't make it better. It usually only makes it worse. Now, I'm not saying that it's bad to have a plan because plans are good. But if they get in the way of God's plans, plans are bad. We have to realize that God has a plan for our life and there's turns that he's got to want us to take and we have to be able to flex our plans to allow God's plans to take precedent. That's knowing who God is and that your life is not your own, it is God's. Now he, like Kenny said this morning, gave us a brain. Yes, he did, but our brain is not to supersede who he is. Because it says a servant will never be greater than his master. So when we're making our own plans for life... I've got a 15-year plan to hopefully pay off our mortgage. That'll be a great thing. This is our plan that we will die in the house that we built. I told Misty, though, as we were building it, I said, man, wouldn't it be crazy if we got in there and we hadn't even lived there a year and God called us to go somewhere else? She's like, oh, don't say that. (laughs) Because she and I both know that we're going to go. She both, we both know that that could be a reality if that's what God wants for us. And we've gotten to a point where we're happy to say yes most of the time. I'm not saying we're, we're great at it. But I'm saying that you've got to know your father's voice. 
You've got to get to know your Father. You've got to get to know when He's talking to you so that you can discern the things that He is saying because Satan will also try to tell you things. But if you take your thoughts captive and you do not allow Satan to take up real estate in your mind, then you have a way better chance at receiving and hearing God's Word because you're looking for God consistently. You're listening for God consistently. You're traveling down that road of fellowship with God every day, hopefully multiple times a day. These are the things that we have to realize when we start looking after the things that matter, which is God, and that's the only thing that matters. Everything else will fall in place, just like he says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek God first. I'll take care of the rest. I've got you. I care about you. I love you. Know who God is. And know who you are not. And you are not God. We have to realize this in our minds. But we have to take our minds and we have to seek what God wants from us. And God will tell you in his word what he wants from you. Don't just come to church on Sunday and listen to what I'm saying. Know that you know that you know because you got it straight from the horse's mouth. You got it straight from God. This is what God said. This is what God has for me. Why? Because it is His Word and it is holy and true and all God inspired and it's applicable for teaching, discipline, and all these other things. It's a life instruction manual. We just got to read it. And then... The next step is following the instructions. I know that's a hard one. A lot of guys don't even like to open the instruction. Man, I got this. I got this. Two hours later, it's like, I still don't know where that goes. You know? But from the go, if you'll just open up the manual and follow the instructions, sometimes things go a lot smoother. And in the case with God's word, it will always go a lot smoother if you allow his will on your life to supersede your own will. And these things that we worry about, I have a feeling, I just have a gut feeling that there is somebody in here that is truly, truly has some worries on their plate. And it is truly needing a release from those worries. This message came to me earlier this week. And I felt it for so long. And I heard a pastor say, because I looked up and I listened to other pastors on this topic because I wanted different viewpoints. And I spent a lot of time in prayer asking God what he would want me to say and what he would have me say. And he showed me this. A lot of people are sleeping good at night, but you're not getting rest. Hear what I'm saying? Just because you're sleeping good at night doesn't mean you're truly getting rest. Because the only true rest comes from that of God. So just because you're sleeping doesn't mean you're getting rest. You can sleep good at night and wake up and, and you've got so many things going on in your life, you're just as tired as when you lay down to go to bed. Why? I got enough sleep last night. Well, 
You're seeking, again, earthly things. You're not seeking God's rest. You're seeking an earthly sleep. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You ever wonder why they call it sleep and not rest? God doesn't say, I'll put you to sleep. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll be your safe haven. I'll be your shelter in the storm. That you can come to me and that you can get everlasting rest. That you can get true rest of mind, body, and soul. I will give you rest on every side of you. That you may be surrounded but know that I am God and I stand in the gap for you and will give you rest. My children, I will give you rest. He didn't say I'm going to help you sleep better at night. He said, I will give you rest. There's a difference. When Satan controls the battlefield of our minds and never stops, you can't sleep at night. You lay awake tossing and turning over the things that are, might be happening, the things that might happen, the things that you don't know about. But that's where Satan wants to keep you. He wants to keep your mind spinning. And he wants to confuse the truth of God just like he did in the Garden of Eden. He didn't tell Eve that God did not say that. He said, are you sure? He created confusion. He got her mind to spinning and she lost sight of the reason she was there in the first place. And she was there because God put her there. We may not be in the best of situations right now. I'm not going to say everything's pretty as it is depicted as a meadow of flowers. We may be struggling for that next meal or we only got one outfit to wear or we don't have a home to sleep in tonight, but I can assure you, if you are a child of the king, God is with you, and on the other side of this battle, you will be victorious, because that's his promise, and he is a good, good father. So today, as we open up the altars, if you need rest, I'm not talking about more hours of sleep at night. Because that will make a difference. But if you need rest, because you've had something heavy laden on your heart, God says, give it to me, and I'll take it. 
I'll take that burden off of you. I heard a testimony of a father praying over a son, and, and he could just feel the weight lifting off of his son as they were crying out to the Lord together, the weight being lifted off, and he could feel it going because his son was being truly broken for the Lord, and the Lord received their prayers, and he could feel that his son was getting lighter because he truly was figuring out in that moment who God was. And that he could go for him to rest. I know there's a bunch of adults that need to be broken down. And they need to shed these things that they wouldn't have to bear this weight anymore. That yes, you have a family to take care of. And, and yes, you have to have a job. And yes, there are things that are going to happen. But guess what? God knows these things. And he says, I will take care of it if you will just focus on me. One last story. I had a buddy. Some bad things happened. They had half the income that they had before. And we were talking about God one day, and he was really struggling. And he's like, you know, he said, the numbers just don't add up. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, I've went through my bills a hundred times, and I don't make enough money to pay my bills. He said, it's in paper. He said, I've been through my receipts and my checkbook ten times over the last three months, and it doesn't make sense. I don't make enough money to cover my bills, but every month I have just a little bit of money left over after I pay my bills. Anybody feel the spirit? It's true. God will take care of us. God will show us that He is almighty. He will show us that, hey, if you lay your burdens on me, I'll take them with velvet gloves and I will cast them over my shoulder because your burdens have nothing to do with me. Because my yoke is easy. All you have to do is give me those and I'll get rid of them. And then we'll walk together seeking the things that I would have for you. You ever wonder how missionaries and things make an income? Man, it blows your mind whenever you get to thinking about people that are truly willing to serve the Lord all out. I knew a missionary that had a home in his missionary place in another country, but when he came back to visit family, he was homeless. But down there, they scraped together this church body that he was running down there, scraped together, and they showed him how to build a house out of sticks and mud and leaves. And that was better than what he had here. Because a church body is so strong when we help one another. When you get more than one person seeking the face of God, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Spending your time seeking after God versus seeking after the world makes all the difference. Makes all the difference. Friday night, for example. Now, I believe that God blesses church services. I absolutely do. But this was a group that desired to see the face of God. So they organized a meeting and they organized things to pray over. And it was because they wanted to. It wasn't because of schedule. 
It was because a group of believers got together and they wanted to find God and put God's blessing out on the children in this community. And God was here. If anybody was here, raise your hand if you felt God that night. I'm going to raise both of them because God was here and he was ever present on Friday night. If you hear about a gathering of people that are truly seeking God, go with them, but be ready. I always tease people after the posture of possibility things. I'm like, there was two other guys that went with me to that conference, and I called them the next day, and I'm like, all right, you remember you guys were talking about that posture of possibilities? You remember that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, be careful with it, for one. I think I'm going to Nicaragua. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, just be careful. You know, it's like praying for patience. Be careful, you know. But truly seeking God's desire. I laugh, guys, but this is so important. If you will cast your burdens upon God and allow him to take your heavy laden. And that that way you can focus on what he has for you. And truly focus on what he has for you. And even though you might have plans, allow them to be pliable. Allow them to move to allow God in. So that's what I'm asking today as we open up the altars. That if anybody is carrying anything that is not godly, you are giving Satan real estate in your mind that is not his. It is God's if you are a child of the king. Take that real estate back from the holds of Satan and give it back to God. Today is the day. Stand with me if you would. Today is the day to let go of those things that are weighting you down, that are not allowing you to serve a life for God that you should be serving. Today is that day. From here forward, you say, God, I'm going to give it to you. Here it is, the things that are bothering me, here they are. God, I've carried them for so long and I'm weak. God, I want to look after you and the things that you would have. Now is that time. The altars are open.